Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm Jared Brummett, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob delivered this message at World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. As always, we'd like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com, where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. I want to begin my message today by talking to you about Father's Day, but I don't mean the holiday, I mean the boat. There was a little boat, and the name of that boat was Father's Day, and it was built by a man named Hugo Villain back in the 1950s, and Hugo was, uh, mainly he traveled by air. He was a fighter pilot in Korea, and then he was a Delta Airlines pilot for many years, but he loved sailing, and he wanted to become the first person to sail across the Atlantic Ocean in a tiny boat. And so he built a boat, and he named it Father's Day. I'm not sure why. It was only five feet, four inches long. He couldn't even lay out if, if I had it right here, and it's in a museum right now in England, but if I had it here, it would just come to about here. He couldn't lay out straight in it. He had to sit up about all of the time. But that was the smallest craft that has ever sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. He did it, and it's still the world record for someone traveling across the Atlantic in the smallest possible boat. It's really amazing what people can do with small, humble things. And it's especially amazing what the Lord can do with small, humble things, with people that are very ordinary, people who maybe aren't great people in many ways, but the Bible says that God didn't choose the great and the powerful. It says in the book of Corinthians that he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And so there is another boat that I want to tell you about. It's just a very humble fishing boat. It was a little bit larger than Father's Day, but just as humble. And it's the boat on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus took over, and he used it in tremendous ways for ministry, And I want to show you four of those ways with this point in mind, if the Lord can take over and use such a humble little boat as he had, there's a good chance he might be able to do something with you and me. So turn with me to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter number five. And the first thing I want to say about the boat that we're going to meet here, this sermon is a biography of a boat. The first thing I want to say is that it represents a message to instruct us. So look at verse number one, Luke chapter five, verse one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, this would be the Sea of Galilee. I was just there 
this past week. I returned from Israel on Thursday, and we spent several days on this little lake, and it's a beautiful place. Some of you have been there. It's not a very large lake. It's only 13 miles long and eight miles wide at the widest point. I mean, in comparison, Percy Priest Lake is what, 60-some miles long, and Old Hickory Lake is maybe 100 miles long. So this was a relatively small lake. But the Lord put it there. The Lord created this little lake. He scooped it right out and put mountains on either side of it. And he did it when the world was created so that it would be the arena of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Most of our Lord's ministry was done right around this lake. He would go occasionally to Jerusalem, well, three times a year for the festivals, and he would teach and do some things in Jerusalem. But the bulk of his ministry was just in the humble villages and the fisher people around this little lake of Galilee. So beautiful and quiet and tranquil and remote, and yet that's where our Lord chose to work, in the humble places. And it says, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, this is very unusual phraseology for Luke. I read that and I said, why did he say it like that? He could have said the people were listening to the teachings of Jesus. He could have said the people were listening to the parables and the proverbs that Jesus told. He could have said the people were listening to our Lord's sermon, but he said they were listening to the word of God. And that either means that Jesus was simply quoting the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, or that Luke understood that every word Jesus said was the word of God, which is absolutely true. When Jesus spoke, it was like no one else that had ever lived. I love to hear great speakers and orators, and I wish that throughout history we had had videotapes of some of the great preachers and the politicians who could stir people by their oratory. But no one ever spoke like our Lord. It says in Luke chapter 2, when he was only 12 years old, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. In Matthew 13, it says he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom, they said? In Mark chapter 10, the disciples were amazed at his word. In John 7, no one ever spoke like this man did, they said. And then in Luke chapter 4, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They said to one another, what words are these? In Luke chapter 19, the people hung onto his words. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Not in heaven, not on earth, not forever. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, he said, who builds his life on the rock. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. 
there is a power and a majesty and an infallibility about the simple red letters of Jesus that are matchless in human literature and represent the word of God. So they were standing listening to him as he gave them the word of God. And it says in verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he came and sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is such an idyllic scene. I mean, even if you haven't been to the Sea of Galilee, you can picture in your mind this little lake, the Golan Heights rising up behind it, the hills of Galilee behind it or looking towards it, facing it. And there were the crowds around Capernaum or Magnola, and Jesus wanted to preach to them, but they were pushing him into the lake because there were so many people. So he got in a boat and turned the boat into a pulpit. And he just let out from shore a little bit and the water represented a sounding board. And he preached to the people from the boat and those messages changed their lives. And now we have the words of Jesus throughout the Bible. If you wanna know how to live ethically in this world, read the Sermon on the Mount. If you wanna know what's going to happen in the future, then you can read his sermon from the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24 and 25. If you need peace and comfort in your life, then read the Upper Room Discourse, beginning with John chapter 13 and going through chapter 17, where he says things like, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many mansions. If you want to know what his church on this planet is like, then go to Matthew chapter 13 and read the parables of the kingdom. If you want to know how to be satisfied in the deepest reaches of your hearts, read John chapter 6 and his message on the bread of life. If you want to know who he really was, then study his seven I am statements in John's gospel where he said, I am the bread of life, I am the water of life, I am the good shepherd. If you want to know about his tender compassion and his redemptive mercy, then study the seven statements that he made from the cross. Every syllable, every letter, every jot, every tittle was spoken as the word of God and it abides forever and we have it right here to read whenever we want to. That boat, that boat represents a message that instructs us, but it also represents a miracle that changes us. Let's go on to the next verse, number four. When, they had finished, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell 
at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. So often, when our Lord speaks, that's how he begins. Don't be afraid. He knows how fearful we are. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This was one of his miracles that he did. They had been working all night, had not caught a single thing. But Jesus said, well, let's try one more time. And Peter said, it's useless, but I will do whatever you say. Now that's wisdom. Wisdom is just looking at Jesus and saying, I will do whatever you say. And when the nets came up, it was so full of fish, they couldn't even contain it in the boat. And this so startled Peter. It was such an amazing miracle to him. Right in his area of profession, I mean, he was the experienced seasoned fisherman, not Jesus. But he fell down at the Lord's feet. And in the light of our Lord's mysterious, majestic glory, he recognized how sinful he was. And he said, Lord, compared to you, I am so sinful. The Lord, he understands that we feel that way. He wants us to express that. But he forgives us. And he says, now that I've gotten your attention, I want to use you. And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. This is a unique story in the Gospels, but it's a very common story in life. The Lord Jesus comes into our lives, he gets our attention, we recognize our sinfulness, he forgives us, and then he commissions to be fishers for him. And we need to do it sooner rather than later. John Piper, many of you have read his books, he said that when he was growing up, his father was a pastor, a preacher, and he said, I went with my dad many times and heard him preach, and he always had the same style in his sermons. He would begin with some humor, and then he would go into the scripture, and then he would pound home that scripture, and then he would make a tremendous appeal for people to come and to make their decision for Christ. And he said, I remember one night, a very old man came forward, and he was sobbing, weeping, and my dad led him to Jesus Christ. But the man continued crying. And he said, I heard my father say to him, why are you still crying? You found Christ, you should have joy. And the man said, but think of all of the years that are gone, all of the years that are wasted, most of my life is over and I'm just now finding this. And John Piper said that was one of the moments when the Lord indicated to him he wanted him to be a preacher, when he saw that we've got to reach people as soon and as early as we can. And I would say to you, if you're a young man, maybe you're a new father, this might be your first Father's Day, maybe you're a father-to-be, 
Maybe you're not married yet, but you are young, and the Bible says that we should remember our Creator in the days of our youth, and there is no better time to start following Christ than when you're six or eight or 10 or 12 or 15 or 19, when you have most of your life ahead of you. Don't wait any longer. Don't put it off. The Lord wants to come into your life and say, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That's the miracle that changes us. But now I want to see another story about this boat and it tells us about the master who calms us. Look over at chapter eight and verse 22. Chapter eight and verse 22. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into the boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, Jesus was both altogether God and totally human. And so there were times when we see his human side. And on this occasion, he was exhausted. Just exhausted from ministry. Have you ever been so tired that you just lay down wherever you were and fell asleep? I have been. I remember once when I was in college, I'd been going day and night without stopping. I was working on my studies. I was preaching for a traveling team. I was doing all kinds of things. And I went to church on Sunday morning. I came home or back to my dormitory room. And I just fell on my bed and fell asleep somewhere in midair and slept all afternoon. Well, it's not the only time I've done something like that, but that's the way that Jesus felt. And so he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now, it doesn't say there was any rain. The rain, I think, would have woken him up, but it was the wind and the roughness and suddenly the waves became very agitated and this can happen very easily on the Sea of Galilee because there, you have the Galilean mountains on one side and the, uh, the uh, Golan Heights on the other side. And that is, you know, the Sea of Galilee is below sea level. And so the wind comes down through that valley and just churns it up very quickly. I've been on the Sea of Galilee once when, you know, things got a little rough all at once. And so, but it didn't wake Jesus up, didn't disturb him. He was sleeping in perfect peace and confidence and rest, but these other disciples were very disturbed. And it says in verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. He wasn't concerned about the fierceness of the storm. He was concerned about the faith of the disciples. Now, some of you are going through a storm in your life right now. I don't know what it is, but a lot of things can cause storms in our lives. These stories are given so we can put ourselves in the picture. Maybe you're going through a financial storm or a medical storm or a family storm or who knows what it is. 
the Lord is not as concerned about the storm you're going through as he is the faith that you are exercising as you go through the storm. He wants to grow your faith. He wants you to trust him. And I've been through a lot of storms, and I haven't always done so well. I'm like these disciples. I panic. I say, we're going to drown. Do you not care? In one of the Gospels, they said, do you not care that we're drowning? And, but over, the, over time, I've slowly begun to learn to trust the Lord more with storms. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will correct your path. He will elect your path. He will perfect your path. You just have to trust him. The Lord says, trust me. Find some word that I've spoken and hang on to it. Find some verse that I've given and grab onto it. And trust me through this storm. You can trust him through the storm. And he rebuked the waves, but then he rebuked the disciples. And he said, where is your faith? And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And the same Lord who can control the storm can also strengthen your faith during the storm. Storms don't last forever. The difficult period in your life is not going to go on and on and on. The Lord steps in. He is in control of everything, especially everything you give to him. Just take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. The Bible says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. Peter said, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. The Lord does care for you. And he's especially concerned with storms that arise. But one of the purposes of storms is so we can develop our faith and learn to trust him. When I was growing up, there was an old song in church that we used to sing. And it says, no storm can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. And that's true. You're not going to capsize. And your ship is not going to go down because the Lord is there. But you've got to trust him as the winds blow. It's just very important to discover that it's the master who calms us. This is a message that instructs us. It's a miracle that changes us, shows us a master who calms us. And finally, from this boat, we learn about a mission that engages us. So it says in verse number 26, as we continue on, they sailed to the region of the Gadarenes. This was directly across on the other side of the sea, on the eastern side, which was mainly Gentile. And there's a place where they commemorate this event. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried and fell at his feet, saying at the top of his voice, 
What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into the solitary places. You know, when the devil is controlling a society, it's just like this. When the devil is the dominant force in a culture, there'll be a lot of nudity, there'll be a lot of violence, there'll be a lot of unrestrained behavior. I mean, we see that in this little microcosm of the world in which this man represented. And Jesus said to him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because the demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Used to, when I was a young preacher, I would say this was a good example of deviled ham. I don't say that anymore. It's too corny. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. This is the change that takes place when the Lord comes into a society. Without Jesus, there's a lot of nudity, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of unrestrained behavior. When Jesus comes, there is appropriate modesty and sanity and a listening to his voice and a sense of calm comes back. And it says in verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all of the people of the region of the uh, Gerizines asked him to leave them. Imagine that. You've taken away the nudity and the violence and the unrestrained behavior, and we don't like that. Just leave. Go back to where you came from. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, years ago, I heard Billy Graham preach. I think it was on television, but he was preaching from this passage. And he said that there are three prayers that were offered to Jesus in this story. And Jesus answered two of them with yes, but the other one, he answered with a no. The demons prayed to him. They asked him, don't send us into the abyss, send us into the pigs, and Jesus agreed. And then the people of the village prayed to him, and they asked him, saying, please go back to where you came from. And Jesus did. But then the man who had been healed prayed and said, Lord, let me go with you and be your disciple. And Jesus said, no, no, because I've got another mission for you.
Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And I memorized that verse back in college as part of a personal evangelism class. And the professor said, that verse is yours. It is for every person. Go back to your home, go back to your friends, and just tell them what I've done for you. That's the mission that God has for us. I mean, we may be humble as a little fishing boat. We may be inexperienced. We may not be trained theologians or preachers or pastors, may not have a lot of money. But anybody can just say, here's what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And he spread that message all over the village. He was planting seeds. And I believe later there came to be a great harvest. So this is our mission to just tell people what the Lord has done for us. Simple as that, but so powerful. So that little boat crafted by some carpenter, waterproof, sealed, but nothing fancy. That boat represents a message that instructs us, a miracle that changes us, a master who calms us, and a mission that engages us. The only thing is, none of that would have been true if Jesus hadn't taken over that boat. And your life is his vessel. Your life is his boat. And he wants to come in and be the captain. He wants to steer you towards the destination. He wants to use you according to his plan. If he can use this little boat to do things that we are still talking about 2,000 years later, if he can give us such vivid pictures of what he did that we can see it in our mind's eye, and it can have the same impact on us it had on the people of New Testament days, if he can do that with that little boat, there is a fair chance that he can do something with you and with me. Just a humble little fishing boat upon a blustery sea, crafted by some carpenter, maybe from Galilee. It's hull of wood, smell of fish, its owner's rough and worn, till Jesus came and sat and talked and commandeered the storm. And from that day until our own, no other barge or boat so navigates the tides of time and keeps our hearts afloat as the vessel of the master on the Sea of Galilee, as the captain of salvation who says, come, follow me. That's a little poem I wrote years ago, and I'm going to post it today on social media. It's my Father's Day gift to people who might check in. But it's so true. The Lord says to you, permission to come aboard, and we need to say, yes, Lord, come aboard. 
Take over my life. Take over my boat. Take over my direction. Handle the storms. Give me the mission. I want you to be the captain of my salvation. That's really a title for Jesus in the book of Hebrews. He is the captain of our salvation. So do we have any vessels here that are adrift? Anyone tossed in the sea and you feel a little uncertain? Let Jesus come into your life. He can make you a vessel fit for the master's use. A vessel fit for the master's use. You say, how do I do that? Well, it begins when you just humbly pray to him. This man who needed a transformation in his life had to come face to face with Jesus. Peter had to come face to face with the master. Say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinful person. I have messed up so much. Compared to your perfection, I am evil from one side of my life to the other. And the Lord says, I know that. And I shed my blood to forgive all of that sin. And I rose from the dead to give you the power to be a new person. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. And you recognize that. And you just say, Lord, I give you permission to come aboard. I want you to be in charge of my life as Savior and Lord from this moment. And you can pray that prayer right now. In just a moment, I'll have you bow your heads. If you're at home, you can pray that prayer. You can think about it and offer it to the Lord this afternoon somewhere under a shady tree or by your bedside. You can pray tonight and say, Lord, I want this transaction in my life. I want it true, but don't put it off. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. He knows our sins. He will abundantly pardon. But if you're not careful, you'll be like these people of the Gadarenes who ask him to leave. You want to ask him to come in. Come in to my heart. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And he will make you a vessel fit for the master's use. Thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Recording, engineering, and audio editing is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline and posts them as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and may God be with you until we meet again.